Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. People who complete an obstacle course race tend to have a few things in common. More often than not, they're wet, dirty, exhausted, and smiling ear to ear. Physical therapist and certified athletic trainer Mike Ryan knows these obstacle course events well. He's a sports medicine expert for Spartan Race, one of the leading companies producing obstacle course events, and he's a competitor himself. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, he describes the allure of these increasingly popular physical challenges and how to successfully prepare for them, whether you typically spend your weekend in the gym or on the couch. If you want to test your limits and not injure yourself in the process, you'll want to listen to our conversation with Mike Ryan. So between being a physical therapist and a trainer, you're a six-time Ironman triathlete and you're at least Spartan Racer yourself. So this role with Spartan Race seems like a match made in heaven for you. Uh, But for someone who hasn't seen an obstacle course event like this, describe what it entails. Uh, it's really exciting, Jason. It's a course, it's an, usually an off-road course, anywhere in the woods, fields, sides of the mountain, you name it. It's, it's an obstacle course that can range anywhere from three miles to 15 miles, and obviously you know that distance going in. And it's a lot of fun because it's, it challenges everybody physically and mentally, whether you're the, the elite racer and racing up front or you just want to finish it. It gives you the ability to challenge yourself with obstacles, which can range from rope climbing to carrying buckets to balancing on balance beams, so to speak. So it's kind of a total body workout out in the environment, out with the elements, and, and as competitive as you want to make it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and obviously it's a, it's a very growing sport uh, for good reasons because it's a lot of fun, and it, it brings that fun, fitness, and physical challenge all into one event. So for people that have maybe seen, I don't know, images of this on social media or something like that, but they've never actually been to one, you know, I hear your description, I'm like, balance beam, okay, that doesn't sound bad. And then I contrast that with, you know, things people see on the web of, you know, people covered in mud or people crawling under barbed wire. How intense do these Spartan races get? I think the easiest answer for that, Jason, it's as intense as you want to be. I had, when I worked for the Jacksonville Jaguars, we had a a lady who worked in our accounting department, and she came to me one time before we had a big um, obstacle course race in Jacksonville, Florida, and, and she said, hey, I'd really like to do this, but she admitted she had never done any, any sporting event in her life. So this was obviously something very, very far out of her comfort zone. We practiced, we went on the practice field, practiced everything from crawling to how to climb a rope, and she went out there. She didn't run any of it. She walked the entire distance, but I have to say it changed her life. She was so excited. The next year she brought her daughter back and she brought her husband back to do it. And it was one of those events. It was a perfect example of somebody getting in for the right reasons, not to win the race, but to basically find a way to get themselves healthier, to motivate themselves, kind of kind of step out of their comfort zone and, and challenge themselves both physically and mentally. And so, so I think it's a long-winded answer. But the nice thing about these obstacle course races is they do just that. They allow people to do something different. You, and when you get in your – a lot of it is the mud. You're crawling in the mud or the dirt, and it's you see people out there that it kind of brings you back to your childhood. You're not worried about getting dirty, and you're out there having fun. It's uh, it's, it's a really special type of event that 
uh, has a lot of appeal for a lot of different reasons uh, for everybody who steps to that starting line. So you just provided a pretty beautiful portrait and case study and what, you know, what one person going through an obstacle course like this looks like and that, that accountant story. But just in general, who does this stuff? I mean, does, does it tend to be these really hardcore, you know, weekend warrior, super fit types, or are there just as many sort of those people like that accountant who, who aren't as familiar with this stuff and just kind of want to challenge themselves with something totally different? I think volume-wise, it's more the latter. It's the individuals that get out there that, that aren't the marathoners, aren't the the individuals that work out five days a week. They're out there that just want to get better. They're out there with friends. They're out there with family. They come up with team names because a lot of ones, the ones I do are the Spartan races, and they have three types of heat. They have the elite heat, which is most of the professional and the people that are going out there to race race. Then they have the competitive heat, which you still have to go on your own. No one can help you over the obstacles. You're on your own, so to speak. And then they have the open heat. And the open heat, for the most part, is much more laid back. If, if you get to an obstacle and someone you can't get over, let's say climbing a wall, let's say your, your your vertical jump isn't what it used to be and you have a hard time getting over the wall, well, someone can help you do that. So in the open heat, it's kind of almost anything goes, so to speak, and you can help each other out. So I, I think from a volume point of view, I think it's more people that are out there. They have no chance of winning it, and they don't care. They're out there to have fun, spend time with their friends, create that fellowship, and and the camaraderie with these kind of events is addicting because they have people out there that know they're all going through the same event. They're going through the same mud. They're going through the same obstacles. So everybody's very supportive. You see some people that have a hard time carrying a heavy bucket. Well, someone puts their bucket down and helps someone carry theirs, and which I think is really cool, especially in this day and age where it's all about winning and everybody's looking at sports center and everybody has to, you know, what's your fastest time? What's How much weight do you lift? How many points do you have? It's almost refreshing to slow down, smell the roses, so to speak, and, and look at this and do it for the right reasons, which is enhance your health and, and, and find ways to um, really kind of make your wellness a higher priority in our lives and uh, get, get away from the desk and get a little muddy but still have a lot of fun in the process. Well, I know when I stop and smell the roses, I always like to have a heavy bucket in my hand. So that, that's perfect. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier some of those the obstacles, and you just referred to one right there. Um, but in general, what, what kind of total body experience is this? So without going through every obstacle that may be in a course, if somebody goes to do this, how are they going to be taxed? What are they going to be asked to do? Well, I think the best way to answer that is you're going to be taxed from your head to your toes. You're going to have to work on balance. You're going to have some leg strength. You're going to have some upper body strength. It's going to force your athleticism, which is great. And even your cranium. There's some of these Spartan races I do. You come around the corner and there's someone there with a big sign and they take the last two digits of your race number, which in this case you have a headband, and based on that it correlates with a six-digit number and a name. And you've got to memorize that name and then maybe three miles later you come around the corner and they say, okay, what's that name? What's that number? So you could be the greatest athlete in the world. Well, if you're to the point you can't remember numbers and names and your memory is what it used to be, uh, you're penalized for that. And a lot of times the penalties penalties in a Spartan race are 30 burpees. So there's a big incentive to be able to do the right thing, to be able to complete the obstacles. And, and also it's a great way to motivate people to train on these obstacles, to train how to climb a rope, to train the best way and the safest way as a physical therapist me coming out now, the safest way to train to make sure you're prepared to do these things. So it's a great incentive to be prepared. You're healthier. You're exposed to the heat and the elements, so to speak. So right there, you're going to be safer. But it's a great motivator to say, hey, I can go through and I have an opportunity to complete each one of these tasks 
be it an upper body or be it an athletic event or whether it be a leg strengthening thing. It's, um, like I said, it's a head-to-toe challenge, and I think that's a real appeal to it because it levels things off. You may be a great runner and not have upper body strength. You get out there with some of these upper body exercises, um, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So it's a, it's a very total body workout. And so that's the thing. There is this interesting contrast. On the one hand, I think you make a compelling case that the, the you know this is for everybody. It's it's a return to to being a kid again and trying things that you, you maybe haven't done since you were a kid. And on the other hand, um, yeah, it is taxing you in different ways. And so that brings me back to the accessibility thing. Um, you know, another sport obviously that has gained popularity in recent years is marathon running. Well, if I'm trying to to decide if I'm capable of running a marathon, I know if I can't run 10 miles, I can't run 26.2. Or at least sure. I need, at least I know how much training I need to do to get to that point that I can run a marathon. Sure. But I can see somebody looking at this and going, well, yeah, I I can't climb a rope. I mean, I'll put myself. I'm 40 years old, and if I've climbed a rope since gym class in elementary school, I don't remember. <laughs> you know. And so that's a great example of, on the one hand, that could be um, that that would be a positive challenge for some people, but I could see it being intimidating for somebody else. Um, so, is there a baseline fitness somebody should have before attempting something like this? I think the best thing I, I recommend people to get to a gym that does these kind of obstacle course training. There's, I know, a Spartan. Uh, I'm a certified SGX coach, is what they call. So I, I've gone through the course and the certification and the way to progress people through. I tell people if they want to get into like a Spartan race to find an, a Spartan SGX coach or any type of race you want to do, find someone, a personal trainer that's focused on obstacle course racing. They may be the greatest personal trainer to teach them how to do burpees or how to do lunges or how to bench press. Well, those skills aren't necessarily going to help you get up the rope. So the best way to train for these kind of races is to do the obstacles to learn the technique, because a lot of these things, Jason, are technique-oriented and finding ways to do that. For instance, climbing a rope. A lot of people say that's a daunting task because it's really hard on your body. Well, if you do it the right way and you use your legs, climbing a rope is, is I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's much, much easier if you're using your legs and not your arms because we tend to get out there like rock climbers and want to use this, all this upper body strength, and, and that could be a problem because if you're using the legs the right way, you're safer. And it allows your arms to be a lot fresher coming off a rope, so you may get 100 yards or half a mile down the road, and now you've got another upper body exercise to do. So a lot of it comes down to technique, practicing the technique. I do a lot of my workouts with, you know, a lot of friends that train with these races as well, but if I'm with my kids and they're doing a sporting event at the park, I just go over to the playground. It's amazing what you can get done on the monkey bars and some of the things they have um, in fences in practicing those kind of drills. So... The nicest, the nice thing I like about these kind of workouts as well, Jason, is is they're very simplistic. You could do them almost anywhere, so you don't necessarily have to be in the high-paid, you know, fancy, expensive gyms. You could do some of these in your own backyard or at the, the elementary school down the road. So there's a simplicity about that, which I think is very attractive. So you know, obviously, an event like this, when you're, especially if you're doing a skill you haven't done, or you know, you're climbing something, there's always that risk of sort of those accidental injuries. Some um, you take a fall off a net or a rope or something like that. Sure. Um, that can happen. Leaving those sorts of injuries aside, um, because this is so physically taxing, using your entire body head to toe, like you mentioned, are there any common injuries that result from people sort of throwing themselves into a demanding challenge like this without the proper strength, the proper flexibility, the proper endurance? Do, do we know if there are common injuries for people who do these obstacle courses? 
There are, and I think the first one, believe it or not, are flesh wounds, are cuts and scrapes and bruises. I mean, you kind of get that when you're crawling through through the mud or going through the woods and scrapes and sticks. So I always tell people, don't don't forget about the, the flesh wounds and those things you have to take care of because the concern with staph infections and things like that because you're not in a sterile environment, as you can imagine, with some of the places you're racing. So cleaning the wounds, getting soap and water, things covering the wounds, this is something I, I kind of throw up there right uh, to the beginning because nobody gets out of these races without some scrapes. I think the next thing that people have are, are kind of muscle strain slash muscle soreness. They're, they're doing some different things. And how many times I did a race up in um, North Carolina last year, and there's about 4,000 feet of climbing in, in, the, in the event. It's, it's a longer event, as you can imagine. Well, here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live, it's, it's about as flat as your kitchen table. So having access and going up hills for as long as you do, which obviously you've got to come down those hills, which is a little more difficult from a footwork point of view. So getting ready in some of those things, ankle sprains, muscle soreness, those kind of minor issues that you're going to come out of is something you always have to work with. So I, I think looking at things with the right kind of equipment and how you're training to avoid those general things, you, you can get those kind of injuries in a basketball game. So I can't say that it's overly unusual or concerning, but um, there are injuries and soft tissue stuff and, and, and sprains that you have to be careful of. And, and a lot of it, having the activities, doing it ahead of time and being prepared for that, I think is a great way to, to minimize the chance of having those issues and obviously making sure a lot lower percentage of those are serious injuries. So on that preparation idea, you know, earlier I mentioned marathons and that idea that, you know, if right now if I can only run 10 miles and I want to run a marathon, I know how long – or how much training I need to get to to be able to run the full distance. Um, that said, you know, the, the optimal training solution for doing that isn't to go from 10 miles one day to 26.2 the next. There, there sure. are safe ways to build up. And I have to think it's the same way for the Spartan race. So, you know, you made a compelling case for how easy it is to go to a playground and kind of start doing this, some, some of this stuff. But for somebody who is approaching their first obstacle race, how do they, you know, how do they start to prepare to do this? How do they go from the, the ground level up so that they are prepared? I think the first thing is get on the race website, if it's Spartan, it's Spartan.com, or, and they have a lot of great videos. They show you how to train. They show you little tricks of the obstacles. So I think doing the research, doing the homework, seeing what's there, knowing what you're going into. You don't want to go into these kind of races blind. And then I think the next thing is get on social media and start doing searches and reaching out to those kind of individuals in your neighborhoods and in your groups and your gyms that are doing them. Because the nice thing about this kind of community is they're very, very willing to share. You say, hey, look, I want to do my first race. You got any advice? Well, they're going to welcome you with open arms, bring you in, show you some of the things, help you with theirs, show you where your weak points are. So I think the networking of that is a very, very strong component of these kind of races. And you talk to a lot of people that do them consistently. They tell you the fellowship and the friendships that you grow out of these races are probably the number one benefit of what we do to get into these races. And then I think the next thing is getting into a, a gym that has those kind of obstacles. You can talk all you want, but until you get your hand on a, a heavier bucket or you have to crawl under barbed wire, and do you crawl or do you roll? You know, certain things like that. But getting into the gym and trying some of these obstacles is the best way to, A, decrease some of the anxiety to realize, hey, I know what I'm getting into. Uh, and second of all, to really minimize your chance of, uh, of getting injured. That's... Um, that's obviously a high priority as well because there is an element to every one of these races. It doesn't matter what type of race it is. They always have some surprises. They're always going to challenge you. I remember a few years ago, probably 50% of the races would have knots in the ropes when you climb them. 
Well, now very, very few of them will have a knot. Well, if you go into a rope and you say, I have no problem with a rope climb because I can just use the knot, and suddenly you're running across this field and you look and there's a rope hanging over the water with no knots in it, that's a whole different challenge. So knowing that they're going to throw some curveballs at you, but having the confidence and the exposure to some of these uh, obstacles uh, just makes it that much more fun and more challenging. It allows you to uh, uh, to do that much better in each of these races. So if somebody came to you, they'd be getting two things. They'd be getting that, that peer-to-peer support that you mentioned, that, that camaraderie of people who have been there, done that. Um, but then there's also Mike Ryan, the physical therapist, and, and so I want you to put that hat on for a second. Um, it, would it be beneficial to see a physical therapist to prepare for the, something like this? Oh, absolutely. Obviously, I'm very biased being a physical therapist, but I think it's essential because you can look at where your weak spots. I don't know anybody who's ever come to me and want to do some of these races that have been pristine with no injuries. In other words, they always have something. They have a history. They've had knee issues or they've had shoulder issues. They've got current low back. So having a physical therapist that can kind of do an overall look at them and say, hey, you know, we got to get your core a lot stronger before you challenge yourself with this. So I think the physical therapist that can do that body assessment, if you will, and look at, you know, a lot of times as a physical therapist, their number one priority when you look at someone is to balance their body to try to get one side of the body to do the same thing the other side is. It sounds very simplistic, but a lot of times that can eliminate a lot of problems that people will have, especially if they're doing a longer race like this. They may not be running the whole thing. They may do it like my friend who walked the entire race. That's absolutely fine. But having body balance, having knowing you have the right flexibility, is there is there some predisposed, now I'm going to talk about the physical therapist, is there some predisposed medical conditions that they may have that if the physical therapist can shed some light on it, say, hey, let's address this issue, it can solve a lot of problems, not only in this race, but in their daily life. And why do they have back pain when they get out of the car every morning? Why do they get out of bed and they feel like you're 80 years old for the first half hour? There's a lot of little issues that physical therapists, you don't have to have a surgery before a physical therapist can help you out. And I think these races are, are a perfect example of, you know, finding a way to get to a physical therapist to say, what should I work on? What should I not work on? What are my priorities here? And address those early. It just, it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense to get someone in and out of these races much healthier in, in a great way to change their lives and, and put them on a track of great wellness um, long after this race has been completed. So whether we're talking about sort of those those first time racers, uh, you know, or, or competitors, those, those people who maybe aren't uh, vigorous athletes, you know, and, and and then even the weekend warrior types, it seems like one of the things that those groups often have in common is a difficulty telling whether sort of the aches and pains of training are just a normal part of sort of testing yourself, getting stronger, doing all that, or a sign of developing injury. And so, again, leaving that physical therapist hat on, do you have a great gauge for how somebody can sort of start to internally check and say, ah, this is just a normal ache and pain, it's 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 part of the process, or no, this is something more serious and I need to be careful? That's a great question, Jason, because I think a lot of people struggle with that question, especially in this day and age where insurance is more expensive. When you see a doctor or you see any kind of medical specialist, there's a lot more out-of-pocket expenses for that. So. A lot of people want to make sure that they get those injuries taken care of, but they just don't want to jump in to see someone if they don't need it. Uh, Disclaimer-wise, I always tell people if there's any question or anything serious or any history here, go see a doctor, go see a physical therapist. But with that being said, I just wrote a few months ago, I wrote an article for Spartan.com on when do I need a physical therapist. And I think a general rule of thumb I tell people is if you have an injury that 
loosens up very quickly once you get moving. There's no catching. There's no giving way of the joint. There's no pins and needles. There's no numbness associated. There's no stabbing pain. A lot of times that may be an injury that you can kind of work yourself through. You're doing extra stretching. You're doing the extra icing. You're warming up a lot better. Those are injuries that tend to be more of an ache and pain compared to something more serious. I think some of the big red signs and the, the flashing lights that should tell you this is something a little bit more serious that you've got to bring to a, uh, to a medical specialist for are any kind of joint catching, something if inside the joint is getting in the way or locking, any stabbing pain, any shooting numbness pain, stabbing pain, anything that's real intense with that, um, any localized uh, swelling within a joint that doesn't go away after three to four days, uh, those are kind of signs that this is something more serious you have to get looked at and not really something to mess around with. So if you're kind of going blind with something that's more serious and you try to push it, whether you're aggressive with your training or these kind of races, there's a pretty good chance you're going to come out of it worse than you did when you went into it. That tends to be more debilitating, more downtime, and more expensive. So being smart up front, maybe getting a physical therapist into the mix earlier on, can, can kind of give you some insight through the right kind of lens to say, yeah, this this is something we got to have someone look at. Well, hey, maybe there's a way we can work through this, learn from it, get educated on it, and, and, and a great opportunity to learn more about your body, which I think we all need to do a better job of. So if I go back to thinking about somebody who's going to do an obstacle course for the first time, I think I would see the pictures and I would see all the mud and the dirt and the scrapes and I would say, all right, so I'm going to get my tennis shoes out of the closet from three years ago and I'm going to get the shirt that I usually do yard work in that I don't care about and that's what I'm going to wear to do this thing because I, you know, I just don't want to get my stuff muddy or whatever. Good idea or bad idea? I think the old shirt's a good idea. Old shoes are a bad idea. Footwork is one of the most important things, I think, with these kind of races to use because you have to get it right. If, if you wear an old shoes that are slippery, because a lot of times you're obviously in environments that don't have the best attraction. So if you get a nice pair of shoes, they don't have to be real expensive, that have good traction, they're made to get into the mud, uh, they get water out really quickly, you can clean them really easy, you don't really care what they look like. It's a great way to obviously perform better, but more importantly, the physical therapist in me says it's a great way to stay healthier. If you have better traction on the walls, you have better traction in the mud, you have better traction in a stable shoe when you're out on uneven surfaces, you can avoid a lot of foot injuries and a lot of ankle injuries. I I see people that get out with the real light, flimsy shoes, and and I kind of grimace with it because they're so caught up in something that's lightweight. Well, you're carrying around about five pounds of mud anyways. Your shoes are so your shoes, socks, pants, everything is soaked in water. So who's really worried about a couple extra pounds? So I tell people get in a heavier, more stable, solid sold shoe is a key part. Because if that if that shoe is solid with good traction, you can avoid a lot of those twists on the uneven surfaces. Because the one thing you can guarantee yourself in these kind of races is you will be on uneven surfaces. You will be um, in the mud. You will be on slippery surfaces. So go with a more stable shoe with a solid insole um, and leave those flimsy shoes back home. Um, I, I think it's a smart way to prevent injuries, and, and your performance is going to be a lot better um, uh, each and every time you do that kind of race. You mentioned earlier a story of a guy who, who went through his, his race by basically just walking from spot to spot. For somebody who basically just, I just want to finish. I just want to say whether it's a three-mile course or a 15-mile course that I got from point A to point Z um, and everything that was standing in my way, what, what are your kind of tips for potentially somebody who is maybe not as good at overall physical condition, maybe they're older, um, what, what should they do to still be able to navigate the course but do it safely? 
I think the first thing is to check their ego in the car before the race starts because you get out there, you're going to see a lot of people running by. You don't get, want to get caught up in the competitive component of that. So leave your ego away from the race course, so to speak. And the second thing is to enjoy the sights. I tell people that when you're doing these kind of races, interact with the, the spectators, interact with the volunteers at the obstacles because what that does, it slows you down. It brings the personal side to what's there. They can give you some tips. You high-five here and there. You have fun. I tell people to wear shirts with their name on it or, or a funny logo of some sort. People love that. So you're, you're, now you're being called by name. You can stop and high-five the person and talk to them and, and get a drink of water there. So it, it, it purposely slows you down. It allows you to kind of enjoy the process. allows you to, like I said earlier, stop and smell the roses. And I think that's a great way to do it. Don't worry about the time. Leave your watch at home as well. Just focus on getting through each individual obstacle and being safe. Walking is a great way because these kind of races can kind of catch up on you. And a lot of times if you do them in a hot environment, you're you're in a setting that can kind of tax you a little bit more. Um, the other thing I tell people is to bring water with you. They have a lot of great backpacks now that have built-in uh, canisters in there or bladders that you can drink water. So don't rely on someone out in the course to give you water. You, you, these kind of races you're kind of told to kind of be on your own. So to bring your own water with you. And I tell people to go the 50-50 rule I use with the Jaguars is, what you drink is 50% water and 50% sports drink, before, during, and after. That way you're getting the water, you're getting the fluids, you're getting the calories, you're getting the sodium, you're getting the electrolytes. All the important things you need when you're out on a course like that, you could be out there for hours. So I think being self-sufficient is a smart way to do it. And the other thing is to reward yourself. You know, you get done with this race, you know, enjoy it, celebrate it, share the pictures on social media, because it's a great accomplishment to finish some of these races and don't keep it to yourself. And you find a lot more people that want to do it. You're going to encourage people to do it the next time. They say, geez, if so-and-so can do it, and they may be older, they may not be in the elite shape, but they're able to do it, well, maybe I can do it as well. So pretty soon you find yourself as a leader and a motivator for people around you. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. For this day and age, we're trying to get more and more people off the couch and getting more people away from their electronic devices and getting out and sweating and being an athlete and being a kid again. I think that's a big appeal for these kind of races. So we talked a lot about the before the race. So you talked a lot about during the race. Let's spend a little bit more time on the after the race. Um, someone does finish, they, they conquer. Other than celebrating, what should they do to recover? A couple of things is hydrate. Hydrate's a big part of it. Get that, like I said, 50-50, 50% water, 50% sports drink. A lot of these places have free beer when you get done. You know, that, that's okay, but get the – Get the water, get the sports drink, get the healthy stuff in you first before you uh, start throwing down the brews. I think that's important. Another thing I always tell people is to drain your legs. You've been on your legs for an entire race. I tell people the same thing when you're doing any kind of leg workout. Get off your feet, get your legs elevated, wiggle your toes, and pump your ankles and bend your knees. Just do that even if it's for 10 minutes. It's a great way to get a lot of those waste products, all those bumps and bruises and things you've been putting your leg through, that gravity is constantly pulling it down towards your calves and your ankles and your thighs and your knees. Flip the gravity switch, so to speak. Elevate those, doing those pumping of the ankles, wiggle the knees, uh, bend the knees and the, uh, the feet as well. Is just a great way to gravity to pull that stuff out of the leg. But that can really accelerate your recovery. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of rollers. Get on a roller that night. Loosen yourself up. Do some stretching. Take a hot bath. Stretch out the muscles. If something's tight, stretch it. That's real important to do, do it the night before. And the other thing I throw out there, people always laugh at this, but they come back to say, man, this made a big difference. The next morning, go for a run or go for a walk. 
even if it's a quarter of a mile, a half mile, do it on a soft surface, do it on a beach or at a sports field or on a golf course, but getting out and moving, because the best way to get rid of the soreness, in my opinion, Jason, is to do what made you sore. Just a little version, just a little taste of it. You don't have to go out and run five miles, but getting out there and walking and doing some side shuffles and walking backwards and doing some squats and doing some lunges, just even if it's 15 minutes worth, that alone the day after a hard event or a hard workout can literally save that second and third day, can save soreness by as much as 70%. So get rid of it, loosen stuff up, get the stretching, stay with the hydration plan, uh, eating a good meal. You're probably going to eat a little more of the, the sweets and the junk the night after race than you did a couple days going into the race, and that's fine. But just make sure you're pushing the fluids and you're eating well that next day because your body's just screaming for a lot more nutrition and getting the right things back in. It's like a sponge. Your body wants to suck that in and take the right stuff in as you build back up the things that you broke down during the race or the little bumps and bruises you had. Give your body the right kind of fuel to allow it to heal itself quickly in the right way. Because, um, again, you hope these kind of things are putting you on the track of, of enhancing your wellness and challenging yourself for the next event. So doing it right the first time, um, I think it goes a long way, and, and it all starts with that recovery as soon as that race is done. So you've alluded to this along the way, but I want to close out uh, kind of by going back to something. Um, you know, obviously this is a, a head-to-toe workout, um, and, and, and I think when people hear obstacle course, they think a series of physical challenges. Uh, but how much is this an emotional challenge? And, and on that note, too, how much is, is what you see less a demonstration of people testing their physical ability but sort of going through the, you know, the emotional waves of, of challenge and frustration probably at times and, and then triumph? Um, is is the sort of emotional uh, benefits, do they potentially match the physical benefits of trying to be a, an obstacle course participant? This is a big part of what makes this event so special because I always tell people this isn't the Navy SEALs. You're not trying to make the Navy squad. These obstacles are challenging, but they're very accomplishable uh, for most people, and the emotional benefits go a long way. I had a great event that I did a few months ago with a dear friend of mine, Cindy from California, with her and her husband, Cindy was an Ironman triathlete and got hit by a car, went into a coma, and really it's a lucky she's she's alive. Well, we did a Spartan race here in Florida, and it was her first athletic event she's done since she came out of her coma. And she said to me for months ahead of time, she goes, Mike, all I want to do is finish. And I said, Cindy, you'll finish if I have to carry you the entire way. Well, we went in the open heat, so it was much more relaxed. Her husband ran right in front of her. I ran behind her. We helped over a lot of the obstacles. And when she finished that race, Jason, she was all tears. She was very emotional. It just it made everything very, very worthwhile to see what she had done. It wasn't about the time. It wasn't about where she placed. It was just her finishing that. And she looked at me and she said, I'm finally a Spartan. I'm finally an athlete again. So you think of that, what she does, and you could stand at that finish line and watch people. There's many people out there like Cindy that do the race for very, very emotional, very challenging reasons. And it's above and beyond the time on the clock, what it says when they finish. They, they do this because they want to challenge themselves. Like the old saying, your life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And I think these kind of obstacle courses are a perfect example of that because it's not structured. You're not in an air-conditioned environment. You're not running on a treadmill that tells exactly how fast you went and what your pace was. You're out there in the elements. You're, you're, you're a little kid again. You're running through the mud. Is it five miles? Is it three miles? Is it four miles? Who cares? You're out there doing it. You're trying to accomplish something. You're challenging yourself with any one of these events. You get fellow racers and people watching the race that are cheering you from start to finish. I don't want to sound poetic, but it's a very beautiful setting to see people involved in that and have their own little inner challenges and finish it. 
and yes, it's it's a very emotional event. And a lot of people, when they look back at that race and they have that medal and they have that T-shirt and they have those pictures, that means more more to them than you know the, the winning prize money for the, the professionals who finished hours ahead of them. It's just a very very cool event, and as you can tell, I'm very passionate with it because of the a lot that it brings to the table uh, for for people of every size, gender, and nationality. It's uh, it's very very cool. Mike Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.